0: Father, you say say in your word, Lord, that you inhabit the praises of your people. So we trust, we believe, Lord, that you inhabit in our praise this morning. Father, with a thousand hallelujahs and a thousand more, Lord, we praise you because you alone deserve the honor, deserve the praise. Father, we thank you, Lord, that indeed, all the rocks, the trees, your other creation to cry out in worship to you. But you give voices to us, you give lips to us so that we can praise you. The joy is indeed ours, Lord, to praise you. So Father, we thank you so much, Lord. We thank you so much. And Father, we pray, Lord, that we will not just praise you on Sundays, but we'll praise you every day of our lives. We worship you, Lord, not just with our lips with our strength with our hands with our feet with our mouth with with everything every everything that of our being Lord we want to praise you want to worship you Lord and I pray Father as today we will look at your word increase and enlarge our hearts Lord to your glory increase our gratitude our gratefulness towards you that we go out from this place this morning eager to love you more eager to worship you more Lord all the days of our lives Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Please take a seat. Well, good morning, praise center. Uh, My name is Sandy. It's a privilege to minister the word of God to you this morning, and welcome to those of you joining us online as well. Well, it's uh, thank you, Rebecca and the team, for leading us in vibrant, joyful, heartfelt time of worship to God. I always enjoy coming here uh, because, uh, you know, worshipping God. Worshipping God is not a duty. Yes. It's not a chore, but it's a privilege. It's a joy. I think God asks us to love Him with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. And I think I, went, I recently went to a seminar, and the seminar actually said that one of the activities that engage our heart, mind, soul, and strength is actually singing and playing music. So I think God gives us the gift of singing, playing music, because he wants us to have the joy of engaging all our being in sacrifice to him. So thank you so much for leading us in time of worship this morning. We continue our study through the book of 1 Samuel. We are at chapter 12, Uh, and uh, I, I, I trust that you have been following this as well. And if you have children, I encourage you again to read the word of God with your children. Um, especially the Book of Samuel, it's not that difficult to read. It's story-based, it's narrative, so it is engaging. It is, it is fun. Um, so read with your kids, so your kids will also enjoy uh, reading the Word of God with you. And and sometimes for us as well to 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 have the habit of reading the Word of God at home as well. So uh, I will start with showing you this picture. Hopefully this works. Yes. This is Martin Luther King Jr. He was a prominent leader in America's civil rights movement in the mid-20th century and on April the 3rd, 1968, he delivered a sermon in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, the sermon became his last sermon because the next day he was assassinated. He didn't see the full fruition of his work, but the United States of America wouldn't be what it is today without without him. Among many things he said in the sermon, he said this, Let us rise tonight with a greater readiness. Let us stand with a greater determination. And let us move on in these powerful days, these days of challenge to make America what it ought to be. We have an opportunity to make America a better nation. Now this was the last speech of a leader who believed so much in his cause, in the cause, even until his last breath, his dream of a new America. In fact, his dream of a better world, actually, had not died. Now, if you, if you knew that you were about to die tomorrow, or let's not, let's not say death. Let's say if you're about to leave a prominent leadership position, or if you're about to leave a particular role that you're playing right now, you're about to leave that, what would you say? Now, I know there is no such thing as retirement from ministry, but let's say Pastor Agus retires from an official ministry ministry position, and I'm pretty sure that even if he retires, he will continue ministering to people, but let's say he retires from an official ministry position, and he's, he's, and he's to give one last sermon, what will, what will he say? And I'm pretty sure that Pastor Argus will take the opportunity to encourage all of us to stay true, to stay faithful to the vision and the mission of this church that God, had allowed him, that God has allowed him to work tirelessly for many years, right? But how about each of us? What is it that is very dear to our hearts? If we are given one opportunity, one last opportunity to leave a legacy, what would we say? Well, that's what happened in our passage today. Uh, the book of Samuel is the transition from the era of judges to the era of Kings in Israel Samuel was the last judge and he was the one who anointed the king the first king of Israel King Saul and after King Saul was established as king in chapter 11 Samuel knew that well his time is over his role as judge was over he has fulfilled his function as the function of a leader and now it's time for him to bow out and let the king rule the nation Of course, after this, Samuel still performed his duty as the prophet, but no longer as the leader of the nation. And in today's passage, 1 Samuel chapter 12, we see Samuel's last sermon to Israel. One final thing that he wished for his beloved nation to carry on, even without him at the helm of leadership. Now, I encourage you to read the full uh, chapter 12 at home because we don't have the time to read the whole chapter. But Samuel's last word for his people was actually, were actually quite simple. If we are to summarise, this is what he said. I have been faithful. God has been faithful. Therefore, you must be faithful. So let's, let's unpack this today. Firstly, I have been faithful. Samuel starts his last speech by making a bold claim that during his leadership, he has not done anything that jeopardizes his credibility as a leader. He has been the judge of Israel, and now his last act is to allow the people to be the judge of his leadership. And he says, here I am, testify against me. Before the Lord and before his anointed, talking about the king, whose ox have I taken, or whose donkey have I taken, or whom have I defrauded, Whom have I oppressed? And from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. You see, he he let himself be put under public scrutiny. And thankfully, people affirm that indeed Samuel has been faithful. One of the biggest temptations as a judge is to take bribes. People will always try to give you something as favor so that they will rule for you, not against you. Here, Samuel said that I have been faithful. I have not taken bribes. I have not used my leadership position for my own selfish gain. My leadership reputation is intact. Now, this is very rare in today's world, unfortunately. Scott Morrison was the previous prime minister of Australia. He led Australia through the pandemic. And I recently read that Scott Morrison was actually the first prime minister since John Howard to serve a complete term in office. Well, if you have been observing Australian politics, that's actually quite an achievement. Unfortunately, though, recently he appeared a bit in the news. He appeared in the news because it was found out that during his time as Australia's Prime Minister, he secretly appointed himself to five additional positions, ministerial positions. Well, you might say, wow, that's politics. People are doing all sorts of crazy things behind closed doors. Well, unfortunately... Christian leaders are not immune to this. In the past few years alone, we heard of many pastors or Christian leaders involved in various scandals. Late last year, uh, the global senior pastor of Hillsong Church, Brian Houston, fired Carl Lenz, which is the pastor of Hillsong Church, New York, after Carl Lenz was involved in an extramarital affair. Later on, he was found with even more sexual misconduct. And unfortunately, early this year, Brian Houston himself resigned over an inappropriate text and an unclear incident in a hotel room involving him and a female church member. And sometime last year, the late Ravi Zacharias, one of my personal heroes, was also indicted because of the things that he said like a decade ago. So even Christian leaders are not immune to sin and mistakes. There is always a temptation to use influence for personal and selfish gain. And more recently, Pastor Matt Chandler, a very prominent pastor in the US, was found to have an ongoing Instagram direct message conversation with a female church member. Now, what I find fascinating about his case is that both his wife and the woman's husband are actually aware of their ongoing conversation, which was a great way of keeping yourself accountable at least, and they were actually okay with it. And also the texts were not of sexual or romantic nature. So anyone would think, so what's wrong with that? However, the third party investigator concluded that it had violated the church's social media policies. The report actually says, Matt Chandler did not use language appropriate for a pastor and he did not model a behavior we expect a leader of our church to have. So the eldership did not disqualify him, thank God for that. The eldership instead put him on a leave of absence to help him reflect and to grow in this area. You see, although no one is immune to sin and mistakes, whether you like it or not, leaders are held to a higher standard and that's why it is it is ever so important for everyone to pray for the government for anyone in authority and for christians for us we must pray for our pastors because when satan wants to destroy a congregation he aims for the leaders when the shepherd fails when the shepherd falls the whole flock will scatter that's why for any pastors to keep their moral conduct intact, it is purely the grace of God. I'm sure Pastor Agus agrees. That's why in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 3, verse 2, Paul gives the criteria for a church leader. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. In Titus, he said similar things. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. So for Samuel to say what he said is very significant. He hasn't abused his leadership position. He has kept his integrity throughout his ministry and leadership. And the people agree. Not many leaders can generally say that. So that's the first thing that he said. I have been faithful. But you can see that Samuel said this not to, not to, not to brag. That's not his intention. He did this so that people would listen to what he was about to say after this. Because what he was about to say After this is very important, which leads us to our second point. And the second thing Samuel said to the people was, God has been faithful. Samuel quickly moved from him to God. Verse 6 and 7, Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness who who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord Concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. Basically Samuel said that you know that I've been faithful so you can trust me. Now let me tell you whom you should trust even more. Samuel reminds the people how God has been faithful to them. Now God heard their cry when they, when they were oppressed under the slavery of Egypt. So God called Moses and Aaron and God performed miracle after miracle to, forced, to force Pharaoh to let the people go. And throughout the journey from, the, from the Egypt to Promised Land, God looked after his people. They, they never lacked food and water. Their garments and sandals did not wear out despite traveling on foot for 40 years through the wilderness. Now we change our clothes and garments and shoes every year maybe. But they didn't have to because somehow it lasted. It is a miracle. And in the Promised Land, once they arrived in the Promised Land, when the Philistines oppressed them, God also heard their cry. And God sent them judges to deliver them from the hand of the enemies. In the book of Judges, it's basically, it's, it's, if you read the book of Judges, it's basically, basically the cycle of Israel disobeying God, the enemy oppressed Israel, Israel cried out to God, and God delivered them. And then Israel disobeyed God again, oppressed again, cried out to God again, and God delivered them again. It happens again and again, and again and again. And if I were God, I would perhaps deliver them once or twice, and that's it. One strike, two strike, three strike, out. That's it. I have enough. But not God. God was faithful. Every time they cried out to God, God heard their cry, and God responded. And God did not leave them lost, alone, and hopeless. God delivered them time and time again. But every time they were delivered, how quickly they disobeyed God. Verse 9, but they forgot the Lord their God. And verse 10, and they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the For For those of us who have children, can you imagine loving your children, providing for them, patiently nursing them when they are sick, but they never say thanks? They don't wish you happy birthday on your birthdays. Ibu Lilian recently celebrated her birthday. I'm pretty sure that the, the kids, the in-laws, and the grandchildren all wish her happy birthday, especially Pastor Agus. He even brought her to high tea yesterday. Sorry, I'm, I'm not stalking. I just, I just happened to be there. Not stalking, so don't worry. But imagine that. Your kids never say to you happy birthday, never say thanks, never greet you in the morning, never greet you when they come home from school. And on the contrary, they always say thanks to the neighbor. They even give birthday gifts to the neighbor. Now, there's nothing wrong giving things to your neighbor. I think I encourage you to do that as a Christian witness. But if they never say thanks to you, how would you feel? At the very least, you feel strange, right? And I believe you will feel hurt as well. You'll feel unappreciated. And when you ask them why they never say thanks to you, they, they say casually, but you've never done anything for us. How would you feel? Would you feel angry? Of course. And if that's how you feel, imagine how God felt when Israel did that to God. Not just once, not just twice, but again and again and again. And if that's not enough, when the Ammonites oppressed them, they didn't cry out to God anymore. Instead, they asked for a king. A blatant rejection of God who had delivered them again and again and again. It's like after you've, after all you've done for your children, or maybe if you don't have children, maybe your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, or maybe your best friend. After all you've done for them, when they are sick in the hospital, you go and visit them with a flower, with the balloons, with fruit, with everything. You come and visit them and they say, I don't want your visit. Go away. Instead, they ask for someone else whom they barely know. How would you feel? You'll feel rejected, right? Any of you who have been through betrayal know how painful it is to be betrayed by someone, especially someone whom you have sacrificially loved. And that's exactly what happened here. But despite... Despite everything that God had gone through, forgotten by the people He had rescued, forsaken by the people He had delivered, rejected by the people whom He had loved. Despite all that, God had not abandoned His people. He said, if you will fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, if both you and the King who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. This is the Lord pleading with his people one more time Return to me. Try, let's try this again. Let's make this work this time. God still wants to have a relationship with his people, God had not given up on Israel. God's covenant with His people still stands. And not because the people are faithful. Because God is faithful to His promise. Because that's who He is. So Samuel is telling them, God has been faithful. Look at what you've done. Look at what your forefathers have done. But God remains faithful. Therefore, finally, Samuel pleaded with the people. Therefore, you must be faithful. You notice in verses 17 to 18 later on, Samuel called upon the Lord to send thunder and rain during the wheat harvest. Now, you might think, what what's, what, what on earth? What is happening here? Well, wheat harvest happens in the early part of the dry season. So no one expects rain. If anything, they, they, they want it to be dry because that's, how, that's that's how you can go out to the field and reap the harvest. Rains and thunders will only destroy the crops. But upon Samuel's request, God sent a deluge of storms and thunder. This is to show them that God was still in control and they are still at the mercy of God. And God could easily wipe them off if God wanted to, but he didn't. This is to help Israel to realize that they have sinned against the Lord and so that they understand that God could have wiped them off. And Samuel used this opportunity to encourage them repent, turn. And serve, and this time from this time on, serve only the Lord. Serve only the Lord. And you notice that Samuel uses the word fear and serve quite a bit here. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, fearing the Lord, you might feel you might think that hang on, are we supposed to be afraid of God? Well, fearing the Lord is not being afraid of his moody or crazy behavior, it's not you being Nervous, always nervous, what is the Lord going to do because I don't know what to expect from him and he's this erratic Lord. No, he's not. But rather fearing the Lord is the appropriate response to the knowledge of his greatness, of his glory, of his holiness and his justice. Serving the Lord, on the other hand, is the appropriate response to the knowledge of his goodness, kindness, mercy and love. Friends, if we only know His glory and His holiness and His justice, we will fear Him, but we will not serve Him. But if we only know His mercy, His love and His kindness, we will serve Him, but we will not fear Him. Therefore, if we know the fullness of His character, we will know His greatness, His holiness, His justice, but we also know His mercy, His forgiveness, His kindness. Then we will both fear him out of our reverence towards him, and we will serve him out of our love for him. That's why here Samuel says, Fear him and serve him. And notice also Samuel said this, and do not turn aside from after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. Talking about the idols here. Now, the first of the Ten Commandments says, you shall have no other gods before me. And, and theologians have rightly said that if, if you keep the first commandment, you will keep all the other commandments. Jesus also said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He talks about money here, but... It can easily apply to our career, our status, our relationships, our pleasure, and any other idols, any other things in our lives that we elevate above God. If we elevate anything above God, friends, that thing will become our God, and we will serve that God, we'll sacrifice many things at the altar of that God, and in the long run, we will destroy our life. Idols are powerless, they cannot deliver, they will disappoint. But if we elevate God above everything else, if we elevate God above everything else, then then everything that we touch will become a blessing for us and for the people around us. So the question for us now is this. Are there things in our life that we elevate before God? Any things in our life that we elevate before God? Do we sacrifice God at the altar of money? Do we compromise on our obedience to God at the altar of workplace promotion? Do we exchange our time with God for extra sleep, extra game time, extra movie time, extra K drama time, or extra social media time? Now, nothing wrong with all those things, but do we actually sacrifice our time with God with those things? Do we conveniently put God at the back pocket so that we can enjoy some illicit pleasure? Do we use God to pursue our money, career, relationship, status, and power? Or do we use those things in our lives to pursue God? I'm so encouraged by, again, not a stalker. I'm so encouraged by what Pastor Agus shared about about his wife in, in Facebook. Again, not a <laughs> uh He said that, he shared about how uh, Ibu Lilian sacrificed, sacrificed the opportunity for her to advance her career for the sake of the family, for the sake of ministry. This is someone who says, God, I know this is important and there's nothing wrong if you pursue education, career. There's nothing wrong with that. But this is someone who says, you come first. God, you come first first. And God has been faithful, and I trust that God has been faithful to Pastor Agus and Ibu Lilian. So friends, do we, do we sacrifice our money, career, relationships, status, and power so that we can pursue God more in our lives? Yes. Or do we change it the other way around? We sacrifice God so we can pursue those things in our lives. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9 verse 24, for whoever will save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what, does, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Friends, God has been faithful. We can rely on his faithfulness because it doesn't depend on us. Because if it depends on us, we're gone. It depends on his character. Therefore, fear him, serve him with all your heart and all Will be well. So that's what Samuel said. I have been faithful. God has been faithful. Therefore, you must be faithful. Now, that's the big idea of this passage. And I can easily stop the sermon here and say, Good luck, all the best. But there's a big problem here. We are commanded to love God with all our hearts. Verse 20 says, You yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. Who among us here is able to love God with all our hearts? Raise your hand. Nobody. No one. If we are honest, none of us can. Just like Felix Felix mentioned just now in the beginning of the service. The world tells us that you can, yes you can, you can do anything you want, but no, we don't have what it takes. We don't even fulfill our own standard of righteousness, let alone God's standards of righteousness. We do what we tell others not to do, let alone what God tells us not to do. The whole Old Testament is a story of God's people's colossal failure to do exactly that. We are sinners, we are always double-minded. Even when we know what's the right thing to do, we inevitably do what's not right because our hearts is inherently wicked. That's why, that's why all other religions are bad news for us. Religions tell us that we must be good, we must do good, we must satisfy all the righteousness requirements and we have to do it all on our own strength. And if and when we fail, not if, when we fail, we just have to try harder. Just try harder. But we all know that we will always fail no matter how hard we try. It's just not possible. That's why religions are bad news for us. No wonder many people are turned off by religions. They're telling people to do what nobody can ever do. But Christianity is different. In Christianity, God has done something incredible for us. That's why Christianity is, a, is in a category of its own. That's why in Christianity we have good news. God knows how impossible it is for us to love Him with all our hearts. God knows how sin has corrupted us. He knows how powerless we are against our sins. And the good news is this. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to deal with our sin problem. He lived a perfect life in a complete obedience to the Father and on the cross, He nailed our sins on that tree and He died in our place to to render sin powerless and He rose again to render death powerless. And whoever believes in Jesus will be forgiven, will have a new life and will have crossed from death to life. And until this point, it is already great news. But if it stops there, if it stops there we will still be hopeless and the good news doesn't stop there if God stops there you He gives you new life He forgives you and after that all the best that's not good news and the good news is not only that but Jesus then also gives us His Holy Spirit to dwell in us the Holy Spirit will transform our hearts in our flesh we cannot put sins to death In our flesh, we will always gratify our selfish desire. But with the power of the Spirit, we can put sins to death. As the Holy Spirit transforms our hearts, we can say no to unrighteousness. We can gradually grow in holiness. We can gradually become more and more like Jesus. So Samuel in the Old Testament said, I have been faithful, God has been faithful, therefore you must be faithful. Although in reality, of course, Samuel was not without fault because he is a human being after all. But Jesus in the New Testament said this, I have been perfectly faithful. My father has been and will continue to be faithful. And if you believe in me, I will put my spirit in you to keep you faithful. That's awesome news. That's the awesome news. So friends, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, whether you're here in person or you're watching online, friends, whatever you pursue in life that you think might give you meaning, purpose, it will disappoint you in the long run. Ultimately, they cannot deliver you from the ultimate judgment of God. All other religions will leave you alone, will leave you powerless to save yourself. Your only hope is to come to Jesus Christ. And if you are a Christian, friends, the good news is not only that we are forgiven, not only we are saved, not only we are given new life, the good news is that God invested His Spirit in us. We don't have to live our life with our own strength. Instead, we can lean to God. We can abide in Jesus. We can follow the leading of the Spirit. That's what Felix mentioned in the beginning. Trust in law with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He shall make your path straight. And for us who live on this side of the history, on this side of the cross, we have the Holy Spirit live in us. So therefore, as we surrender our lives to the Spirit of God, as we trust Him in our lives, you will experience the joy of knowing Him more, of growing in your love and obedience to God. At the start, I mentioned the last sermon of Martin Luther King Jr. In the last paragraph of his sermon, he said this, Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've, seen, I've been to the mountaintop, and I don't mind. Like anybody else, I would love to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned with that right now. I just want to do God's will. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Friends, my hope and prayer for all of us is this. We can say the same thing. I've been to the mountaintop. We have seen the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. I just want to do God's will. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Jesus has been faithful. God has been faithful. And he continues to be faithful. And he will keep us faithful to the end. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And that's the awesome news. That's the hope that we have. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you have proven to be faithful again and again. To your people Israel and now to us as well. Not only you sent your Son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, to forgive us, to reconcile us to you. And not only He rose from the dead to render death powerless. Not only you gave us eternal life, but you also gave us your Holy Spirit to live in us. Without the Spirit living in us, Lord, we are hopeless. There's no way we can love you with all our hearts, but with the Spirit living in us as we surrender our life to him more and more each day Lord Father change us mold us transform us to be more and more like your son we love you Lord not because we are good but because you are amazing Now, pray I pray for all our brothers and sisters in Christ for all our friends here we pray Father that as we go out from this place this morning we will not rely on our own strength but we will follow the leading of your spirit Help us to be sensitive, Lord, to the voice, the whisper of the Spirit. Help us to surrender whenever the Spirit tells us to do something. Help us to obey so that we will be more and more sensitive to the Spirit in our life. Father, we are thankful, Lord, that You are a great God. You are a powerful God, but yet You live in us. Help us, Father, to cling to this promise, to abide in Jesus all the days of our lives because without Him, if we don't abide in Him, we will not bear any fruit. Your promise is when we abide in Jesus, we will bear much fruit. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We look forward to the day when you come here, Lord, to take us home. But for now, help us to be faithful, to bless you, to bless people around us, for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.